This is what a godly life looks like. This is the path of progress, of sanctification, if you like. These are the things that I am to cultivate. These are the things that Jesus Christ says I'm to go after. What will be the outcome of pursuing such a life? If I go down this path, where does it lead? Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And that path that we're talking about here is actually what this series is all about. We're calling it Momentum, How to Make Progress in the Christian Life. And we've been taking a look at the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. And you know, we're to go after things, Colin, like humility and forgiveness, becoming a peacemaker, pursuing purity. So where does this path lead? And this is the absolutely astonishing thing about the end of the Beatitudes, that the end of it is persecution. That's kind of a surprise. It's just not what you expect, is (laughs) it? You say, now, if I'm a peacemaker and I'm pursuing purity of heart and I'm forgiving others, then other people are going to love me. They're going to say, isn't that a great fellow? And what Jesus says is, if you pursue these things, expect to be persecuted. The world will hate you, not love you for this. And that, like you say, does seem counterintuitive. So there might be somebody who says, okay, if that's going to lead to persecution, why do I want to do this? Because... I'm following Jesus. Jesus did all these things. And look where it led him. It led him to a cross. cross. And then look at where he is now. He's at the right hand of the Father in glory, which is where we want to be. So this really is charting the path of an authentic Christian life. And Jesus doesn't hide the cost in the small print. Well, and that is a good thing for us to be aware of. So let's dig a little deeper. Open your Bible and join us in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 10 through 12 today. Here's Pastor Colin with Blessed Are Those Who Are Persecuted. We come to the last of these Beatitudes. Many of you have spoken about how the Lord has been using these scriptures in your life. I also have been greatly stretched, searched by these words of Jesus, and never more so than in this last Beatitude that we come to today. In these Beatitudes, we've seen that Jesus Christ gives us a sevenfold description of the character of a godly person. What does a true Christian look like? Well, you have it in the sevenfold description, a person who is poor in spirit, recognizing that before God I do not have what it takes, and therefore I have to seek that good, not in myself, but in another, in Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. The true Christian look like one who mourns over his or her sins. That's more than being sorry. That's looking at the cost to me and to others and to Christ long enough and straight enough and hard enough until I come to the conclusion that I must actually change and therefore do so. What does it mean to be a true Christian? It is to meekly submit to the will of God, however difficult that may at times become. And we saw that these three, the first three Beatitudes, are indeed the roots of a godly life. There is no true Christianity without them, but where these roots are established in the soil of a human life, out of them comes a a life. And what is that life? It is described by Jesus this way, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's the soul of a godly life, a deep longing That is the distinctive, distinguishing, unfakeable mark of a Christian believer that in in all circumstances, I want to do what is right in order to honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we saw that out of that life that grows from the roots, there is a threefold and very, very wonderful fruit, beautiful fruit. Out of this life will come a tenderness of heart, compassion, 
mercy, uh, patience, uh, forgiveness. Out of this life will, will come not only a tenderness of heart, but a purity of heart to will one thing, to get beyond the spiritual stagnation that always comes with double-mindedness that half holds the world and half holds to Jesus Christ. No, to will one thing, that's what purity of heart is, and it comes out of this life that is rooted in the first three Beatitudes. And then we saw last time, out of this life will come a peaceable spirit, beautiful fruit, mercy, purity, peace, peace in your own heart so that you are able to bring with you and impart even to others as a peacemaker something of what God is working and growing in you. Now, here then is the sevenfold description of a true uh, Christian. This is what a godly life looks like. This is the path of progress, of sanctification, if you like. These are the things that I am to cultivate. These are the things that Jesus Christ says I'm to go after. Now, that leads to an obvious question. If I go after these things, as in our hearts, I think there has been stirred a sense that we must pursue these things with all that we have, what will be the outcome of pursuing such a life? If I go down this path, where does it lead? And our Lord Jesus gives two very clear answers to that question. One is, He says, you will be blessed by God, blessed, 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 that runs all the way through the Beatitudes. And the other is, he says, you will be persecuted by the world. Look at what he says, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues, he stays with it. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Notice that word again. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So three times in three verses at the climax of the Beatitudes, our Lord Jesus uses this word persecuted. The word, of course, means harassed or opposed or ill-treated. And our Lord Jesus says to us, this is what will happen to you. And you should expect it. The world will not thank you for being a Christian. The world will not love the church. Don't expect that. The world will tolerate the church with suspicion at best and will be openly hostile towards the church at worst. And uh, Jesus explains this in another place in John chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, everyone who does wicked hates the light. If you want to do wicked things, what you have to do is you have to suppress the light that is in your own conscience that God has given you by nature. And when wicked people manage to suppress the light that is in their own conscience, they do not like seeing that light which they have just suppressed in themselves shining into them because they see it in you and you're working next to that person or you're living close to that person or that person is in your family. So you see, if you pursue this life that Jesus is describing, the light of Jesus Christ is going to be in you, it is going to shine from you, it's going to be seen through you, and those who pursue wickedness will not like it. They will hate you for it. They hate the light, and so they'll hate you as they hated Jesus. So, so don't expect to be thanked for living a godly life in business, 
in industry, in school, in education. Sinners will be suspicious of you at best, and they will be openly hostile towards you at worst. That is what Jesus says. Now, today, the pattern of persecution. I want you simply to see this from from the Scriptures, that opposition is a normal experience of the Christian, and I should expect it. Remember, it runs all the way through the Bible. What was the first example of persecution? It happened in the first family. Remember Adam and Eve? They have this little boy. Oh, Cain, what a lovely fellow. What a ray of sunshine he's going to be to us, you know. Lovely little innocent fellow. They must have thought. And then he has a brother called Abel, and what happens? Cain murders Abel. And why did Cain murder Abel? The Bible tells us quite clearly, because Cain's deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So, right there, the second person born into the world was the first martyr. He was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the pattern of opposition, harassment, suffering runs right throughout uh, the history of the Bible and, of course, beyond. Think about it. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers in Egypt. He gets put into prison. Why? For righteousness' sake. Moses is reviled, to use Jesus' word here, insulted again and again and again. Samuel is rejected. Elijah is despised and persecuted. Nehemiah is oppressed, and he is defamed. Stephen in the New Testament is stoned. Peter and John are cast into prison. James is beheaded. The life of the Apostle Paul is one long saga of one persecution and event of suffering after another. Think not only of the people of the Bible, think about the churches in the New Testament. Philippi, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, Paul says to the church there, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. It's been given to you to suffer this new church in Philippi. And of course, Paul was in prison when he wrote these words himself. In Thessalonica, we ourselves boast about you uh, in the churches um, for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution. That church was birthed in persecution uh, in the town of Thessalonica. Peter writes to dispersed believers um, over a wide area in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he says to them, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, now it's going to happen. It's going to be all over the place. Wherever you've been dispersed, there's going to be this persecution. And don't be surprised when it comes, this fiery trial. It is not a strange thing. You should not say, why is this happening to me? You should not say that because it's happening to your brothers and to your sisters around the world. Indeed, Paul says to Timothy, putting it most succinctly, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, period. A godly life in Christ Jesus, what's that? The Beatitudes. You pursue the path of the Beatitudes, and Jesus is saying it right here. Here's what to expect, blessed by God and at the same time, persecuted by God. The world. So, this is what we could call the normal Christian life. 
Why? Because the sinful nature is hostile to God. And if it were not already clear to us, what are we doing at the climax of this service? We're coming to the communion service. And what does that point us to? It points us to this, that the one who was the Beatitudes incarnate, the one who was this life to the full, the one who knew the blessing of God as no one else, look what the world did to him. And he says to us, John chapter 15 and verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did, they will also persecute you. And so the eighth beatitude, folks, very simply leads us to an expectation of the normal Christian life, which for all of us who have been blessed in so many ways in this wonderful country, means a shifting of the default mindset about our expectations of what a Christian life should actually look like. Really a powerful message today here on Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, taking a look at persecution. The message is called, Blessed Are Those Who Are Persecuted, and we've been looking at the pattern of persecution. When we come back in just a moment, we'll look at some of the forms of persecution, so I hope you'll stay with us. Well, whether you've connected to Open the Bible online, on the radio, through the app, or however you found us, we're glad that you're here and that you're listening. And uh, this ministry is totally listener-supported. We depend on the generosity of those who listen to give to keep this program going. But as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you Pastor Colin's newest book. It's called Six Hours That Changed the World. And in this book, Pastor Colin shows us the seven times that Jesus spoke on the cross in order to show what Jesus was doing there, how he was praying, opening heaven, carrying sins, all the things that he was accomplishing on the cross. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. Find out more or give online at openthebible.org. Or call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or again, the website is openthebible.org. Back to the message. Here is Pastor Colin. Second, the forms of persecution. Do you notice that in what Jesus says here, he identifies quite clearly two forms of persecution. It comes in two different ways. And Thomas Watson, who has helped us so often, describes them well. He says the two forms of persecution are persecution of the hand and persecution of the tongue. Persecution of the hand, of course, we understand what that is. Persecution of the hand is physical violence. It includes imprisonment, even martyrdom. And this is not so far from us as we think. Just last week, At the end of the Saturday night service, a student from Trinity, comes from India, visiting the church for the first time, came, chatted with him, got to know him a little bit. We exchanged stories about India, wanted to know what part of India he was from. And as we got into conversation, a student from Trinity said to me, Colin, he said, will you please pray for my hometown? He said, because last week, a mob came and broke the arms and the legs of the missionaries who were preaching broke the arms and the legs of the missionaries who were preaching. 
it is very difficult to get accurate numbers of Christians who have been or are being killed for openly professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have looked at many numbers, and they all fall within a range that gives us at least some sense of it. And that range is between 100,000 at the low end of estimate and 150,000 at the higher end of Christians who are killed, who lay down their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ because of their faith every year somewhere around the globe. Now, let's take the low end of that estimate. Low end's 100,000. The Church of England newspaper estimated, this is for 2011, 105,000 believers killed for their faith somewhere in the world in 2011. That's a low end of the estimate. What does that mean? That is 288 believers killed every day. Friends, that is 12 an hour. That is one every five minutes. One of your brothers and sisters in Christ, one of our family, is laying down his or her life for Christ somewhere in the world every five minutes. Every five minutes. Today. Tomorrow. Day. Night. 24 hours. And I will say this to you. I do not think, at least as far as I'm aware, I do not think that our church has yet had a missionary martyr. But if we truly press forward with the work of gospel proclamation around the world, we should not be surprised if that costly honor is given to one of us. We should not be surprised, do not be surprised, if that costly honor is given to one of us. Persecution of the hand. But then Jesus also speaks here in verse 11. Do you see it there about persecution of the tongue? He said, first, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, verse verse 10. That's physical violence that's in view there. But then verse 11, he says something else. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Now, what does it mean to revile? To revile is to insult. It is to slander. It is to mock. It is to ridicule. It is to intimidate. It is to torment. Persecution with the tongue. And here is where I want to speak especially to all of our high school students across the congregations this weekend and our middle school students too. And of course, their parents and their grandparents. If someone, if you are known to be a Christian in high school today, you are going to get some opposition. Apart from anything else, Satan has his eye on you, and there's never a situation in which somehow he gives a break to you until you're 21, you know, no trouble until you're old enough to drive a car or whatever. It starts earlier than that. 
Different people, of course, have different experiences, but here's what you should expect. That's what we've learned from the first point here. If people know that you are a Christian, even though you are young, expect to be mocked for believing in Christ. Expect that people are going to say, you actually believe that God created the world? You must be a fool. How could you possibly think that? And certainly you should expect to be mocked and perhaps ridiculed for obeying Christ. And particularly, I'm thinking here that if you are committed to the path of sexual purity, and if you therefore hold back from the increasingly relentless sexual experimentation that's becoming more and more part, so tragically, of high school culture, people are going to think you're strange. They're going to make fun of you because of it. There are going to be some groups that you might like to belong to, but because they're acting in a certain way and you're not, you find yourself outside. You feel yourself to be sort of outcast, socially ostracized. And when other students know that you are a Christian, and sometimes teachers too, they may make your life hard. This is what Jesus says. You see, verse 11, that Jesus knows about what you're experiencing in high school. He's speaking about it right here. They will utter all kinds of evil against you. It's what so many of our students are actually experiencing in high school today. It's exactly what Jesus says, because the Bible's speaking to your life, and Jesus knows what is going on. And you need to understand why this is going on. It is because people who are behaving in a way that is displeasing to Christ and destructive to themselves, they're already suppressing the light of their own conscience, and now they're seeing that light in you, and they don't like it. Like they hate it. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called, Blessed Are Those Who Are Persecuted. It's one of the last messages in our series, Momentum, How to Make Progress in Your Christian Life. And we're going to pause right here, but we'll continue this message on our next broadcast. Hope you make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a program, you can always come and listen online. Our website is openthebible.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen on the go if you have the Open the Bible app. That's free, and you're going to find it at your app store. Simply search for Open the Bible. And in addition to this daily program, we have our weekend broadcast, our daily devotional that you can both read and listen to, a plan for reading through the Bible, and a lot more. You're going to find all of that on the app and the website. Again, the app is free. Simply search for Open the Bible at your app store, or you'll find all of this at our website, openthebible.org. Well, Open the Bible is listener-supported. We depend on your generosity to keep Pastor Collins' teaching on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you Pastor Collins' brand new book. It is called Six Hours That Changed the World. And Colin, for the person who reads this book, what are you hoping that they'll get out of it? Oh, well, I think the first thing is to see at a deeper level just how much God really loves you. I mean, the Bible makes this very, very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what this book is about. Six hours that changed the world are the six hours that Jesus suffered hanging on the cross, and it explains what he accomplished there for us. And, you know, here's the problem. 
there are many people who believe that Jesus died and rose, but they don't really feel that God loves them. And maybe you can relate to that. You you know about the cross, you know that Jesus suffered and that he died, but it's not very obvious to you how this is love. I mean, how is this God really loving me? Well, I want you to see the love of Christ in the cross and to see that this love really is for you. For you to be able to say, no one has ever loved me like this, and no one ever will love me like this. Jesus loves me, and in the cross, I see the full extent of God's love. Well, Pastor Collins' newest book is called Six Hours That Changed the World. It is our thank you gift to you as you financially support Open the Bible this month. You can call us at 877-OPEN-365. That's one 877-673-6365. Or you can find out more or give online. Our website is openthebible.org. That's openthebible.org. Well, thanks for listening today. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll join us next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. What happens when a culture becomes more hostile to Christians than toward the church? Find out next time on Open the Bible.